good to be here today, amen? amen. Scriptures tell us, this is the day the Lord has made, I will what? Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad in it, amen. My middle daughter is a trained pastry chef. Yes. <laughs> Which is horrible, <laughs> as far as the temptation goes. But one thing that I never, ever in my life experienced was something called creme brulee. Anybody ever have creme brulee? Yeah. Applause for creme brulee. Creme brulee. <clears throat> the first time she made that for me, I took a bite, and I was like, what have I been missing my entire life? <laughs> Having, I've seen it on menus. Other people have made it, but I never tasted it until she made it and realized what I've been missing. I think something happens in the church world and in our own spiritual lives as well. With a lot of Christians, it kind of breaks my heart, and, and I know it breaks your heart as well if you're serious about your faith, and that is we have people all over the place in the faith who have never tasted what it's like really to be in love with the Lord. They've never tasted what it's like to have a vibrant prayer life and to be serious about being in God's Word. And, and as a result of that, they just kind of accept the mediocrity of just going through a religious practice rather than a real alive relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you today, I pray that you'll learn to use the instructions that God has given you. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we come before you today and we do praise you and thank you for the opportunity to live differently. We know, Father, that for those of us who at one point in our life received you as Lord and Savior, acknowledged you as the Lord of our life, that, Father, for a lot of us, we've just kind of gotten into a rut. We've become to think that this faith of ours is nothing more than just a little bit of a ritual here, there, and yonder. And it's lost, Lord, the joy that we remember. It's, it's lost for some of us, Father, the excitement and the enthusiasm that, that comes from being close to you. And for others, they've really never known that. Today, Father, move us from where we are to where we need to be. Change us, renew us, revive us, whatever you need to do to move us from where we are to where we need to be today. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Back in 2006, Money Magazine published an article, and they said that the average American spends 7.9 hours each day sleeping, 5.5 hours working, 2.3 hours watching TV, 1 hour eating, 49 minutes washing and grooming, 47 minutes visiting by phone and in person, 10 minutes relaxing and thinking, and 7 minutes on religious practice. Now, if you would add to that, how many of you have looked at your phone this morning? Raise your hand. Your cell phone. Raise it high. Be proud. Come on. Raise it high. See that? I think if we would update that study, I would love to see how many of us spend what kind of time looking at either the computer or cell phone or an iPad or something like that during the course of the day. But the fact is that across our nation, what we do as Christians, what we do as followers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the time we put into that has waned incredibly in our culture. And I think probably if you know people in your family, people who know Christ, you're probably able to back up that study that, that we seem to be too busy to read God's Word. We seem to be too busy to spend uh, quality time in prayer, too busy to spend quality time in worship and service. The fact is, we are too busy not to pray. We are too busy not to pray, and we are too busy not to read God's Word. You heard me right. Some people think we're too busy to do these things, but in fact, we are too busy not to do these things. 
And I know that prayer and the study of God's Word are, are kind of mysterious. I know that somehow God works in a spiritual way when we do both. But, but if for no other reason, if I can just simplify it today, I want us just to understand the importance of prayer and Bible study just to pay attention to the instructions that God has given us for so many areas of our life. And we have, quite frankly, forgotten that we need instructions for our marriages. We've forgotten that we need God's Word for our parenting skills. We've forgotten that we need God's Word for how to be a good boss or a good employee, for how to be a good citizen in our country. How many of you have kids and you made that great choice to buy them a trampoline sometime in their life? Anybody? I bought my kids a trampoline years ago. As a matter of fact, I ended up going through three of those through my three girls' lives. And the first one I got, I pulled it out in the yard. I, I pulled the box out. I laid everything out. And I began to put it together. And I had a friend of mine that said to me, make sure you read and follow the instructions. I don't need to read and follow the instructions to put together a trampoline. You know? I put the frame together. I got it all ready. And, and I put that mat on there. And I started putting the springs on. You know what I did, right? Did any of you do this? And you just go around the trampoline. And when you get to the last three or four... It is absolutely impossible to stretch it tight enough to get those last three or four springs. I worked and I labored and I did everything I could to make it work and it didn't work. So then I pulled out the instructions and it said, whatever you do, it was like it was written for people like me. Whatever you do, don't start and go around. You have to go across, 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 across. And I took it all apart, did it again, and it was easy as could be. Simply because I read the instructions after I tried to do it my way. Well, when you think about the story of Nehemiah, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to be in Nehemiah again today. We've been looking at his story over the last three weeks, and, and what we've discovered is this, is that if we want to change, if we want to be transformed, if we want to be renewed, if we want to be revived as individuals and corporately as a congregation, we want to move from where we are to where God wants us to be. The first thing we need to do, like Nehemiah, is we need to get a sense of the big picture that, that reaches way beyond our own little sphere of influence, way beyond our world as we know it. To see that beyond our world there are needs that need to be met, beyond our everyday routine, there are things that God wants us to do that makes us extraordinary, that moves us from just surviving to really thriving in His will. Nehemiah's mind and his, his world was opened up to see the suffering in Jerusalem. And as a result, he was moved to do something about it. He saw a need. God opened his eyes to a need. And God moved him to make a difference. He soon realized that to really do this work, he couldn't do it alone. To do this work, he couldn't be a lone ranger. He needed everybody to work together on a team. And, and we saw that in the second chapter of Nehemiah. And we see it actually all through the book of Nehemiah. That the Israelites come together under his leadership and they do things that hadn't been done for hundreds of years. Things that were extraordinary, if you will, in God's sight. But then we also saw that every time we do something that is extraordinary, every time we move from surviving to thriving and we're doing things for God, that conflict comes. Conflict comes from the outside when people begin to make fun of what we're doing. And they say we can't do it. And they try to make sure we don't do it. That conflict also can arrive, arise within the Israelites themselves that did and, and can arise within the church itself as people do the same. We need to deal with it in a godly way. And today I want us to kind of look at 
the backstory behind all of this that's going on. That's helping to make this big picture come in focus for Nehemiah. That's helping the team gather together and that's helping them deal with this conflict. <clears throat> Look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. After Nehemiah has first received the word that we looked at three weeks ago, <clears throat> he says this in verse 5. Then I said in a prayer, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying for you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. It's so easy to forget our need for the instructions. I, I, don't, I don't do it all the time, but, but there have been many times in my life when I suddenly wake up and realize, you know what, I haven't been in God's Word like I need to be. Any of you do that? You know, as a pastor, I, I wake up and realize I haven't been in prayer like I need to be. I, I haven't made those things a priority in my life, and as a result, I've got all these things around me that are kind of falling apart, and, and, and I feel like I'm lost, and yet, how in the world did I get here, Lord? How, how in the last six months, how in the last year, have I allowed the busyness of life to, to convince me that I no longer need the instructions, that I can do without that intense time of prayer, that I can do without that time of being in God's Word? Well, sometimes it's quite frankly because I have been lulled asleep by the distractions of life. And you have too. You remember when you made that commitment you were going to read God's Word on a regular basis. Remember when you made that commitment you were going to pray on a regular basis. Remember when you made that commitment you were going to join together and worship with your family on a regular basis. But life just kind of got in the way. And the kids have so many ball games. And there's so much stuff to do in the community. And there's so many needs to be met. That now you realize it's really not a priority in your life. We just get distracted sometimes. Other times we just get very arrogant. Like me in the trampoline, we decide I really don't need the instructions to know how to treat my wife. I really don't need to be in God's Word to know how to run my company. I really don't need to be in God's Word to know how to be a, a better citizen or to know how to spend my money or to take care of my life. Whatever the reason, it's obvious in this story that the Israelites had not listened to or sought the direction of God in some time. And they are miserable. And then along comes Nehemiah, whose first inclination when he begins to see the need is to go to God. His first inclination is to pray and to ask for God's help. His first inclination is to return to the Holy Scriptures because he wants to experience not only in his own life that change, renewal, transformation, but he wants to lead the Israelites to become who God wants them to be. Our calling is to be renewed as individuals and as a church so that we will first of all be who God wants us to be, which is our character, and then we will do what God wants us to do, which is our activity. And this renewal or this revival is an adjustment, if you will. And what Nehemiah is bringing to these people who had kind of forgotten their need for the instructions is that you need an adjustment. You've been sitting here in Jerusalem with the walls crumbled around you for years and and it's time for you to put your hands to the work and, and to get back to what God wants. But it's not really about the walls. It's about the people. 
It's about the people who aren't in God's will, who aren't experiencing what God wants them to experience, who aren't worshiping as God would have them to worship. And Nehemiah is introducing them, if you will, to this adjustment. How many of you have a GPS in your car? Have those things, don't you? They've become a lot better than they used to be. They normally lead you where they're supposed to now. I remember when they first came out, you would end up different places and wonder, well, that's not where I was trying to go. But I love when you go the wrong direction, right? I leave, I go south a lot, I drive to Florida a lot um, for work, and then I go that way for vacation. And where I live in Parkersburg, I live on the south side of Parkersburg down toward Lubeck, it's really easy for me, a lot easier for me, and quicker for me to get to the interstate by going down Route 68 to Ravenswood and getting on 77 south there. Doesn't make sense to a lot of you, but it does to me. My GPS hates me when I go that way. My GPS will say, by every little road I pass for five, six miles going down 68, it'll say turn left, and then it'll say what? Recalculating. Recalculating. And that's really what Nehemiah is introducing the Israelite people here to, is the Holy Spirit, in our case, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, through God's Word and, and, and through prayer, recalculating and, and telling us, you know what, this is an adjustment you need to make to get on the path God wants you on. Here is your life now, but, but if you want to be the person God wants you to be and be, have the character God wants you to have and you want to do what God wants you to do and you want to change from there to there and move from there to here, you need this adjustment in your life and this adjustment comes through a commitment to God's Word and a commitment to prayer. Now there's an interesting character that comes on the scene in Nehemiah that helps us understand all of this. And his name is Ezra. And he comes after the walls are rebuilt. He has a book named after him as well. There's Zerubbabel who had led a group to rebuild the temple. Ezra comes to teach the Old Testament law. Nehemiah comes to build the walls. They're kind of a team working together. There's a lot of discussion over the timelines. But what we know is that until 200 years after Christ, Ezra and Nehemiah were always the same book in the Old Testament scriptures. And to understand Ezra's mission, you have to go to the book that bears his name in chapter 7 and verse 10. And what we read is this. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and the observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Now, if you understand that that's Ezra's calling, then move back to Nehemiah with me. To Nehemiah chapter 8. The walls have been rebuilt. The big picture has been seen. The conflict has been dealt with. The teamwork is going on. And this great thing has been accomplished. In Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 8, listen to what it says. It says, They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. 
Now, when I read this, it kind of makes me go, huh? What's going on here? Why were these people so sad? They're being told by Ezra and Nehemiah at least three or four times in this scripture, quit crying. Quit weeping. Don't grieve. Don't mourn. This is a happy day. This is a celebration. So what in the world is going on in this passage that has the Israelites so sad? Well, here's what I think is going on. There was a realization of their need for God's word. They realized they never tasted creme brulee before. They realized that they missed for their entire life what they were now experiencing, which was not only had they done this great thing for God together, but now they were hearing the word of God for the first time, some of them in their entire life, they were understanding it, God was speaking to them, and it was incredibly overwhelming. They realized they needed the help that God was providing. Several years ago, before I made the switch in my life to go over to the physical therapy company, I was working with some of the leaders of this particular company doing some leadership training and development. One in particular was, <clears throat> at that time, uh, pretty much uh, one of the highest executives in the company. And he was sitting down with me once a week. And we were reading through different books that business writers had written. And, and we were talking about leadership development principles and all these kind of things and how to inspire and move and manage people in the company. And he would come every week and we would meet at 6 o'clock in the morning at this little cafe in Parkersburg. And he would have a list on this yellow notepad of all the questions that he had. And, and, and he, he would have good questions. They were, they were in-depth questions. And one day we sat down and I asked him to go ahead and begin with his questions. And he opened up his little, folded up his little paper and he just folded it back down. And he said, I only want to know one thing today. He said, I know that the owner is very serious about his faith. And I know how he leads and moves people. And I know that you are very serious about your faith. And I know how you lead and you move people. I believe that what I'm missing in working with people has nothing to do with any of these skills. I think what I'm missing is this thing you guys call spirituality. Would you please tell me how to read the Bible? And I said, I can do that. Yeah. He said, would you help me know how to pray? Sure. I can help you know how to pray. But the thing is, before I teach you how to read the Bible... And before I help you know how to pray, I need to introduce you to the guy who wrote it and the guy who you want to talk to. And through that experience, the guy came to this knowledge of Christ in his life and, 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 and is incredibly on fire for the Lord in many ways today. And, and, and the whole thing was, he just came to a realization that he needs God in his life. Man, isn't that what we say the world needs? Isn't that what we say the country needs? It's what I say a lot of church people need. The realization you can't do it on your own. Why are you trying? Why has your Bible not been opened in six months? Why have you not seriously prayed this week? 
Why are those not a part of your life? The Israelites are realizing they had been living in a way that was tragic. For many of us, it comes, this realization comes only when we face a huge problem, only when someone in our family gets a terminal illness diagnosis, only when we lose a job, only when our husband or our wife tell us that they're leaving us or that they've cheated on us. And it's only in those times that we come to the realization that we really need the Lord. Let me tell you something. You need the Lord right now, today. You need to talk to Him and listen to Him through prayer and Scripture and be serious about your relationship with Him so that you can be who He wants you to be and do what He wants you to do. The first step in your personal and congregational renewal is admitting, I can't do anything without God's help. I can't do anything without His Word, without His instructions. And when they realized that, they realized that that not only did they need help, but they realized it came only from one place. It came from God. They realized that God's Word and prayer was relevant for their everyday life. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 12, listen to this. It says, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. It became real for them. You see what I'm saying? For us today, we need to understand that God's Word is not just a, a great book of poetry and prose, but, but that it is real for us. It is relevant for, for, for us. It holds the answers for our marriages and our jobs and our relationships and our material possessions and our happiness. It's like that old Prego commercial. It's in there, right? Whatever you are struggling with today, God's Word and prayer hold the answers. Now, we can decry the horrible statistics. Yeah. Somebody say it for me. Statistics of the young people who don't believe the Bible is relevant. But the fact is, all of our generations have been living in a way for a long time that acts like we don't really believe it either. We don't really believe if we're honest at work, God will really take care of us. So we have to just make a little lie here, there, and yonder. We don't really believe that doing the right thing always is in our best interest in the eyes of God. We don't live that way so much. Do you realize that you need help today? And do you realize where your help comes from? And have you made a commitment to really be in God's Word, to really talk to Him through prayer? And do you really believe that this will make your marriage better? your community better, your church better, your work life better, everything else. It was interesting that the Israelites they began to realize what they had been missing. They began to realize that God's Word was relevant. Then there was a commitment to be in God's Word that came. There was this commitment in Nehemiah chapter 8, 1 through 3, where it says, All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate, they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened what? Attentively to the book of the law. Now, I don't know about you, but I think if I would say to you today, I'm going to start in Genesis 1, and I'm going to read to you until the sun goes down. That my guess is there would be at least three of you who would not listen attentively past about 1130, right? My guess is probably wouldn't be very many of you left come, come the uh, sunset. But listen to the hunger for God's Word in these people. 
There is a commitment to understand what it says. There is a commitment to get it in their own life. There is a commitment to, to say, hey, here's what's going on. And it's not so much about you being in the Word as it is about the Word being in you. About you acting in ways in accordance with the instructions that God has given. I, I don't know if you all know Don Whiteman. Don Whiteman was a pastor in the West Virginia Baptist Convention for a long time. He pastored in New Jersey as well. He was actually the pastor of South Parkersburg Baptist Church. Um, two pastors before me. And he was still there uh, and, and passed away as a member of the church. And I actually <coughs> had new Don when I was growing up. I actually worked with him when he was an interim at Grafton. And I was a youth pastor there when I was in college. And, and loved Don to death. Don and I were nothing alike. We didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but I respected that man as much or more than anybody ever met in my life, and I loved him to death. And I was in a funeral one time, and he and another old pastor friend of his were standing in the funeral home, and they got into nothing more than I can describe as a competition between who can quote as many passages of the Bible as possible. And I kid you not, I stood there absolutely intrigued I can do John 3.16. Pretty much past that, I need to tell you where it's at and go read it for you because I'm horrible at memorization. But they had entire chapters, you know, four or five chapters at a time committed to memory. These guys were both almost 80 years old when they were doing this. And I stood there absolutely enthralled. I told Don later, I said, I am impressed. And he said, don't be impressed with how much of it I know. Be impressed with how much of it I live. Boy, isn't that the truth? I know a lot of people that can quote a lot of Bible verses, but I have little respect for them in the way that they live. I have a lot of people who can teach unbelievable. I know a lot of people who can preach absolutely awesome sermons, but I have little respect for them because of the character and the activity of their life. There was a commitment to be in God's Word on behalf of the Israelites, but it was a commitment because they wanted to change. They wanted to be who God wanted them to to be. Now we come up with all kinds of excuses. I, preacher, I just don't read. You know? How would you like to go to a doctor? Say, Doc, I got this pain. You know? And the doc's like, well, I think it's this. You come back six months later, he misdiagnosed you, and you're like, Doc, you really messed up on that one, you know? And he's like, yeah, you know what, but I just, I didn't study much in college because I just don't really like to read. You know? I just skated through because I, I don't like to read the new stuff. I don't like to study. You'd be, how ridiculous is that? Well, how many of you in here have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And you have said, you are my Lord and I will follow you. Now, you don't have to raise your hands. But if you've done that, you made a commitment to figure out what it means to follow him. Don't tell me you don't read. Start reading. If you can't read, then listen to the Bible on tape. If you can't hear, then get someone to write it out for you so you can do, or, or do something that you can understand it. Do whatever it takes to know what God's Word says and do whatever it takes to talk to Him in prayer so that you can move from surviving, from surviving to just thriving. And then they obeyed what God said to them in this Word. <clears throat> when I was at AB, they had this game going around. Jim, I don't know if they're still doing this over at AB, but they had this dart gun tag game. You probably get arrested for this kind of stuff now. <laughs> but these very mature college students all had dart guns. And we, we bought out every dart gun at the Rite Aid in Philippi and everywhere else you could go. And basically, you got a contract. You paid money. 
shot someone with a dart gun, you got their contract until it was down to the last person. The last person won all the money. Being the mature ministry student I was, I participated to the fullest extent of my ability. Had a double barrel dart gun taped, duct, duct taped to the inside of my car door. Had two or three in my pockets at all times. People would literally run in the classroom, shoot people in the forehead with a dart gun, run out. And uh, it, 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 got, it got out of hand. Needless to say, the administration didn't care much for dart gun tag. But I was witnessing to a guy, really was witnessing to him, trying to tell him he really needed God in his life. He wasn't a Christian. And he walked in, several of us who were going into ministry were sitting around this table. And he walked in, he sits down at this table with the pastors, and he pulls his dart gun out and he lays it on the table. And one of the other pastors looks at him and says, let me read something to you. He opens up the scripture and he reads him the passage when I was a child, I acted as a child, yada, yada, yada. When I became a man, I put away childish things. And he began to lecture this guy about playing dart gun tag. To which this guy gets up, mad, leaves, and walks away. And I looked at this preacher friend of mine and I said, you know what the funny, incredible thing about all this is? Is that in the way you treated him, you just demonstrated that verse a lot more than him playing dart gun tag. You see, sometimes... We need to understand what the verse really means. Sometimes we need committed to understand what it really says, not just that it says what we want it to say or backs up our own opinions, but God's word needs to get in us. His instructions need to get in us. We need to pray with an open heart. Not God, make me right, but God, move me where you want me to be. God, Give me the things you want me to do, even if it's exactly what I don't want to do and exactly who I've been struggling to become. Because it's not about me, it's about you. Nehemiah saw the big picture. Nehemiah knew it would take teamwork to do this survive to thrive peace. Nehemiah knew there would be conflict. He'd deal with it in a godly way. But underneath all this, Nehemiah and the Israelites fell in love with prayer and God's word. Because it led them to the one. It led them to the one that they were hungry for a relationship with. Would you pray with me? 